You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello there and thank you for downloading The Agenda's podcast from the 27th of November. Now, today we were actually out and about broadcasting to you live from Abu Dhabi Finance Week, right in the middle of the event, uh, and we examined, among other things, the critical issue of sustainable finance. But we also had plenty of news, plenty of analysis, and plenty of comment. And in fact, the topic that everyone is talking about at the moment is that we are, in fact, going to have a long weekend after all. So, can we go on a staycation or a vacation or is it all booked up? We found out with Emily Jenkins from DW Travel. Meanwhile, the world's most developed nations will be told at COP28 to curb their excessive appetite for meat. So are you ready to go vegetarian to help save the world? I wanted to get your views on that. Lots of people got in touch on 4001 and on 0487155500. Meanwhile, there's an advert that has got the French in an uproar. It all involves consumer spending over Black Friday. So should we be buying second-hand rather than new? We spoke to Erica Hall from the second-hand shop here in Dubai that's called La Suite. Meanwhile, a new survey shows that two-thirds of young people feel that not enough is being done to combat climate change. That is according to a survey conducted by GEMS Education. We caught up with the executive leader of climate change for the organisation, Asha Alexander. And we also found out how you can get involved in COP28, how you can get tickets, for example, to the Green Zone with the team from Expo City. It was great to welcome Hent Almaheri, the Director of Special Projects at Expo City, onto the radio. And taking a look at an international news story because piracy might be on the increase in Somalia. That is after an Iranian ship was taken hostage, with the pirates demanding $400,000. We spoke to piracy expert Roger Middleton to find out more. And our head of sport, Chris McCarty, brought us up to date with everything that took place over the weekend, not least that extraordinary F1 Grand Prix. Hello there. Yes, good morning. Welcome back to your Agenda program. Coming to you, as you've probably just heard, live from Abu Dhabi Finance Week. We are here in the nation's capital. The business breakfasts are going to be here all week. I am here Monday and Tuesday. Uh, Big, hot topics that are set to be discussed right here include emerging trends in fintech, sustainable finance and ESG, and the global economic outlook. We've got huge numbers of really standout international speakers coming to this event. Uh, We are in the middle of the show. Uh, We're outside, actually, which is quite fun. So anyone who comes in has to walk past our mobile studio uh, and producer Jen is primed and ready to snaffle them as they come past so that we can get you on air. But uh, certainly we will also be keeping you entertained with all the latest news, analysis and comment. And I imagine for many of us, the major conversation well, the major topic of conversation over this weekend was what to do over the Union Day weekend. Because if you work in the private sector, it turns out that you are going to have a day off. It's just not the one you expected. So uh, formerly, we used to have, I mean, I say we used to have, I think for the last eight years or so, we used to have Thursday and Friday off, and then you'd have Saturday and Sunday, obviously. This year, um, it is only the public sector that are working from home on Friday children are working from home on Friday as well and then we all have Monday off. Uh, There was a bit of confusion around that um, but we do actually 
now know where we stand. But is it too late to do anything special with this Union Day weekend? Well, that is what we wanted to find out. So a little earlier, I spoke to Emily Jenkins, who is Head of Product Development at DW Travel. And she told me the latest holiday announcement was unexpected to them in the hotel and tourism industry as well. Look, one thing I have learned working in the travel sector for almost 20 years is that there's always a surprise around the corner. I think we had probably made a few assumptions that it would be the maybe the, uh, the Friday or the Thursday Friday, but I don't think that we will see a lot of people changing their plans necessarily because of it. You know, we are traditionally a last-minute market with the majority of our bookings in previous years for National Day were being booked, you know, on the one to two weeks prior to the holiday. But because this year we've seen a lot of different factors playing into our booking to travel window extending. So we had a lot of customers booking further in advance for this holiday and traveling for a little bit longer. So not necessarily reliant purely just on those um, public holidays, but also using some annual leave as well. But the reality is, is that if people booked a holiday for Thursday and Friday, then now going to have to use those as annual leave, right? Yeah. So I'm one of those people. I booked a, a trip to go to the Maldives under the assumption that we would have those two days off. But I've decided to see the Monday as a bonus day to get my unpacking done when I when I return. So yeah, I think, I guess it depends on how reliant you are on, on using those public holidays. I assume the cancellations we will get will be from people who, who maybe don't have the annual leave available. But, you know, as, as I said earlier, we've seen a lot of factors playing into that booking to travel window extending, and we had more customers booking in advance for this holiday. Um, I think this year, you know, obviously with the cost of travel having increased, you know, we're still having some availability issues with a lot of the airline availability. Lots of flights are going out full, and we're still having seen a lot of visa issues with uh, Schengen visas taking between 20 to 60 days to be processed. So I think all three of those factors have really played into customers booking further out and traveling for a bit longer. So, you know, I think some people had have booked for a week instead of just that long weekend. The end of the day, the cost of a flight, if you travel for two days or two weeks, tends to be the same for an air ticket. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think that that's really where we're up to at the moment. How about the fact that the cheap staycation was a no-go this weekend in Dubai or Abu Dhabi or the wider Emirates because of COP28? I mean, we've been talking about the hotels being booked up and X percentage rise for a few months now. Do you think maybe that had an impact on the staycation market? Yes, definitely. So, you know, as we know, staycations in Dubai are difficult due to COP28. We have had reports, you know, and seen that the hotel prices over this period are up between 35 and 100 percent a lot of the hotels are fully booked and had put in a minimum stay requirement of of two weeks a minimum stay of two weeks for over that cop 28 period yes that is that's astonishing i hadn't realized that that was the case but i suppose it makes sense from the hotel's point of view yes but because you know taking a, a one or two night stay within that period of time just doesn't make a lot of sense so but you know we're still seeing um deals available across other Emirates, across Abu Dhabi, Ras Al Khaimah, Fajirah, I think, uh, you know, the W Abu Dhabi and Yes Island for a two-night stay, including breakfast, is about 830 dirhams per person. So there are still some deals out there. And I think at this time of year as well, um, you know, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, they're just really busy. There's lots going on. You know, you've got lots of big sporting events, lots of activities happening in the lead up to Christmas also. So I do think people are got lots of entertainment, are happy to stay at home. 
And we are actually quite close to the beginning of those school uh, winter holidays as well, which I believe start on the 8th of December. They certainly do. It's barely worth the kids going back for those four days or whatever it is. We're seeing a lot going on in the region at the moment. There are various sort of geopolitical issues at play. Has that meant a reduction in the amount of international visitors? Could that potentially free up more space for local staycationers? Yes, I think there's two things at play here. I I find that um, the population in the UAE tend to be fairly resilient when things are going on globally and continue to travel. So we haven't seen a reduction in terms of our outbound travel or outbound requests. However, I do believe it does often have an impact on people coming inbound as well and changing their plans, particularly if they're not as familiar with the Middle East region. So yes, that could have an impact. But I think we have seen that you know hotels in the UAE have been fairly solidly booked for most of the last year. And you know, think about how how many other activities or events are on at the moment in the UAE, I don't think we'll necessarily see a big draw. So apart from a weekend at the W Hotel in Abu Dhabi, what would you recommend for a last minute holiday away for three days? Sure. In terms of what we've been seeing for the weekend, I guess our top kind of destinations that people are travelling to, we've had a lot of bookings for Seychelles, Maldives, Zanzibar. We're also seeing um, holidays to Oman, a huge amount of bookings for Saudi Arabia for Umrah. And one of the interesting trending destinations is Poland. We've really seen a spike in Poland requests over the last couple of months. And since the announcement that the public holiday was on the Monday, we have been contacted by quite a few airlines offering discounted group rates to depart on the Thursday, Friday. There's some really great bargains to be had if people are still um, happy to leave on one of those two days. Other than that, we do have some great offers for Tashkent in Uzbekistan. We've got a three-night stay of year from 2975 per person, which includes three-night hotel stay, breakfast, return transfers, and return economy class flights. We've also seen some great offers for the Maldives. Sri Lanka and Malaysia have both got some great offers as well. So, yeah, there's a lot still going, and I think anyone that's looking for um, a good deal can absolutely get one now. We are, interestingly, though, seeing a lot of winter holiday booking requests now too. I think, as I said earlier, that um, people are really looking at less uh, short breaks this year, taking less holidays but for a longer stay. So we're seeing a lot of those winter holiday bookings requests coming in for uh, mainly Europe, so Oslo, Amsterdam, uh, London, Milan, Munich and Zurich. However, we have seen Japan and Canada a lot more popular this year as well, particularly now we've got this new direct route with Air Canada from Dubai to Vancouver, which started at the end of October. Really interesting to hear there from Emily Jenkins from DW Travel. And we'd love to hear from you. Where are you planning your staycation? Have you booked or has the sort of slight juggle on the days mess things up for you please do get in touch with us 4001 or you can whatsapp me on 04871 coming up though in the next few minutes we're going to be turning our attention uh, to another contentious topic we are going to be asking whether or not you are ready to give up meat would you go vegetarian in order to help save the world because some climate activists are suggesting that that is exactly what people in developed countries need to do You are listening here to The Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8, coming to you all morning uh, live from Abu Dhabi Finance Week, right here in the nation's capital.
Yeah, welcome back to the programme. Coming to you, as you just heard, live from Abu Dhabi Finance Week. We're right here in the nation's capital. And while I think all eyes for the next few days will be on Abu Dhabi, certainly I reckon that's set to change come Thursday. Because finally, after two years of preparation, I can remember talking about it. I can remember talking about it for five years, as far as I can tell, although that's probably inaccurate. Um, But yeah, two years of preparation. The UN climate change talks will be starting in Dubai. And as we all know, that COP28 summit taking place at Expo City, there's a sense that the Emirates are already filling up with climate delegates. Uh, I heard the guys on the business breakfast talking about the F1 and how it sort of felt like quite a lot of people maybe had come in for a week early. And then we just heard from Emily Jenkins, who's involved in travel, that uh, basically it's almost impossible to get a hotel in Dubai unless you book for two weeks over the next fortnight. Uh, So you get a sense there of um, maybe the restaurants, maybe the roads getting a bit uh, more congested. And that does actually bring me to the subject of food. I don't think you're going to be able to get a decent table over the next couple of weeks. And there is an interesting story coming out of that COP28 summit already because The world's most developed nations are apparently set to be told to curb their excessive appetite for meat. Yep, during the conference, the UN is going to publish its first comprehensive plan to bring the global agri-food industry into line with the Paris Climate Agreement. And basically, countries that over-consume meat are going to be told to limit their intake or in you know, classic UN language, they're advised to limit their intake, while developing countries will be told to improve their livestock farming. Joining me now to discuss how quickly we need to change our eating habits is Dr. Danush Dinesh. He is the founder of Climb Eat, which bridges science and policy for climate and food. Dr. Dinesh, thank you so much for joining me on Teams. How are you? Is this something that you have been campaigning for during your climate activism Thank you, Georgia. And yes, it is something we've been campaigning for, and we're finally glad that it's on the agenda, uh, on the agenda of the program, but on the agenda of the COP and the policymakers as well. Uh, because Tell livestock me is a why very. Why you feel that we ought to be drinking, le- that we ought to be eating less meat? So, globally, the livestock sector is responsible for about 14 to 15% of all emissions right? So across all other sectors as well. So that's quite high. And if we have one kilo of beef protein, for example, that's causing 300 kilos of carbon dioxide emissions. So that's really intensive in terms of the emissions that go into the meat that we eat, basically. Livestock farmers would point to other industries and suggest that they are far more carbon intensive. Do they have a point? Uh, They do, but in comparison, the aviation industry is about 2% of global emissions, so it's lower. Um, so, so I, And it's not a fair comparison because in the livestock sector, there's more people working in the sector. But the, the fact remains that the livestock industry is a huge emitter, and we're not going to solve the climate problem without addressing the emissions from the sector. If all the other sectors are becoming a more um, climate-friendly, but livestock and food is not, then it's going to be about 70% of our global emissions, whereas now it's about 30%. So we just can't have transition uh, without dealing with livestock and food. This sort of feels fair enough for developed countries. I've had my fair share of steak and all sorts of other uh, meats, but 
it feels a bit unfair for developing countries who've caught, you know, who haven't had their time eating meat. So do you think, you know, is it is it up to us to be saying, no, 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 now now it's time. Now it's time to stop raising livestock. Well, there's there's two two points there, you know. So one is, um, firstly, it's not the developing countries being told that they should eat less meat. You know, the the recommendation is what is appropriate for the environment and what's appropriate for your health. And the recommendation is that about 15 kilos of meat a year is good for your health as well as the environment. Some of the developing country, developed countries consume way more, even more than 100 kilos, you know. So that we need to reduce. Uh, the developing countries, on the other hand, they consume much less. So there was an example of Congo, which only consumes three kilos a year. So they would certainly need to increase their consumption because they need it for their nutrition. So that's one point. The The second point is that, you know, we, the developing countries need to not make the mistakes that the developed countries need made. So not developing meat industry, which is so highly emitting, which will be a liability in the future. As a climate activist, you know, you move in these circles, you've moved in them for many years. Do you find that lots of people working in your sector have already made this move towards vegetarianism or or even veganism? So when I started in this sector 14 years ago, it was not the case. So people in the climate sector did not have enough awareness of their dietary choices. Now it's much different. I see more and more people who are vegan, vegetarian, or just having a conscious and balanced diet. It's not um, not eating meat, but eating less of it, you know. And we're seeing that also in the COP meeting. So the UAE will have quite a large portion of the diet at the COP uh, served using plant-based alternatives. Yes, absolutely. That is a subject that we've been discussing here on the agenda, oddly enough. We spoke to one of the youth campaigners from Ghana about uh, their uh, their project, their campaign to make sure that the food at all of these COP meetings is actually eco-friendly and, and that there are sort of lots more vegan options available. And also, of course, that the food, the food is affordable for delegates from developing countries. So it should be really interesting to see what the food is like when it all kicks off on Thursday. Uh, huge thanks to you, Dr. Dinesh, thank you so much for joining me on the radio. That is Dr. Danush Dinesh. She's the founder of Climate, speaking to us here on the agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. I have one question for you. Would you be willing to give up meat for the environment? Get in touch, 4001, or you can WhatsApp me on 04871 Now, if you listen closely, you might hear a bit of muzak in the background uh, because that is, uh, <laughs> that, that is the sort of atmosphere here at Abu Dhabi Finance Week. It's a very calm, it's a very soothing environment. The opening ceremony due to start around lunchtime today. Uh, and yes, indeed, you are listening here to the agenda live from Abu Dhabi Finance Week in the nation's capital. Business Breakfast here all week. We are here today and tomorrow. Hey there, welcome back to the programme. As you've just heard, we are out and about. We are on the road. The agenda is on the road, but we're still looking at all the top news analysis and comment uh, that's coming your way. And actually, one of the top international stories making headlines this week is the French. (laughs) Not just the French. It's because they're absolutely furious about this advert. Oh, are we going to play the clip? There we go. Mais c'est à moins 70%. Franchement, pour un vendeur, vous êtes pas. Ah non, pas du tout. Moi, je suis des vendeurs et je vous conseille le moins 100%. Il y a un moins 100%. Bah oui, le vôtre. 
Il est très bien. Je peux N'hésitez pas. Hein, si vous avez besoin que je vous déconseille d'autres achats, ça soulagera les ressources de la planète. Et, et vos placards hein Parce que les dévendeurs n'existent pas, posons-nous les bonnes questions avant d'acheter. There we go. Okay, so for the, French, the non-French speakers among us, that advert features a sales assistant in a shop actually discouraging a customer from buying. And the message in it is clear. Consumers should stop buying new in favor of recycled. And it came out quite pointedly, you might say, just ahead of Black Friday. Joining me now to discuss shifting attitudes towards fashion in France and, of course, around the world is Erica Hall, who works with the second-hand shop here in Dubai. It's called La Suite. Erica, now this advert has caused quite a lot of controversy in France. Which side of the fence do you fall on this debate? We, well, we're neither against nor for Black Friday sales. We understand that businesses need to clear stock and increase sales, which means applying sales and discounts. However, we are a business with a purpose. And being in the pre-love space, we are for minimizing overproduction, overconsumption, and waste, which is really harmful for the environment. Unfortunately, Black Friday has become a bit of a shopping frenzy, the biggest sale event in the retail calendar, causing rush and compulsion. Um, some retailers produce excess stock just for Black Friday, and a lot of this will eventually end up in landfill, which is awful. However, at La Suite, uh, we're in the pre-loved fashion space and we encourage our community to shop consciously and for people to buy with purpose. There is a growing movement in France uh, towards more sustainable fashion and recycled fashion. La Suite, of course, run uh, by Alex, who is French as well. I know that you're part of the team there as well, Erica. But do you think we're seeing a movement here as well? Do you think UAE consumers are becoming, I don't know, maybe a bit more eco-aware when it comes to their fashion choices? Yes, slowly. Um, however, not at the same rate of adoption as other regions. Um, the government actually pays the tailors, so it encourages people to repair and not to buy, not to overconsume. Um, it's also really popular and trendy in France to, to shop pre-loved and secondhand. Um, however, yet yeah, in the UAE, shopping is still very much a popular pastime. It's part of the culture here, The huge glamorous glitzy malls and the hotter climate encourages people to adopt indoor activities and spend more time browsing, shopping, and unfortunately over-consuming products they probably don't need. Um, however, yeah, this campaign from France is amazing for creating awareness. We think it's brilliant. And eventually this will trickle down to other regions who will adopt the same positive um positivity and encourage people to, to, to shop more mindfully and with a conscience. Erica, thank you so much for joining me on the radio this morning. Really lovely to have you on the agenda. Uh, that's Erica Hall, who works with the second-hand boutique La Suite, which is based in Dubai. Uh, really interesting to get your views on that. I'd be interested to get uh, your comments. Message me, 4001, or you can WhatsApp me on 04871 We started the show asking you whether or not you were ready to give up meat in order to be more eco-friendly. Well, are you ready to buy? second hand. I have to admit I am a huge second hand fan I think probably half my wardrobe uh, comes from second hand stores um, but I know some people really think it's 
kind of gross, don't they? Wearing up clothes that other people have worn. I'd love to get your views. Get in touch. Uh, and you are listening here to The Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are coming to you live from Abu Dhabi Finance Week here in the nation's capital. Hello there. Welcome back to The Agenda. Coming to you live on an outside broadcast from Abu Dhabi Finance Week. We're right here in the nation's capital. And I think it's fair to say that at least over the next few days, all eyes will be on Abu Dhabi as uh, literally uh, dozens of the top financial minds in the world descend on the capital uh, to have discussions on subjects as, as varied as the future of fintech and, of course, sustainable finance. Because... On Thursday, I think the eyes of the world will then move to Expo City, Dubai, where, of course, the COP28 climate change talks will start. Now, uh, there's a really interesting survey that's just coming out today, and it focuses on the views of the young people in the UAE. And it doesn't make for very comfortable reading as an adult because apparently close to two-thirds of young people feel that not enough is being done to combat climate change. And one in two lack confidence that the world will be able to stop global warming. Now, that is according to a survey conducted by GEMS Education. It is one of the UAE's biggest education providers. And they spoke to more than 12,000 students aged 10 and above. Now, those kids were attending one of the GEMS schools in either the UAE or Qatar. So it is a regional survey. And the findings, sadly, really do suggest uh, that there is a real... I suppose, lack of optimism among, uh, you know, for the future among our young people. So as Dubai welcomes delegates from across the globe, what do young people want to see from the world's leaders? Well, to find out, I'm joined now by Asha Alexander, who is executive leader for climate change at GEMS Education. She's also a principal of GEMS Legacy School. She's joining me on Teams now. Asha, tell me, how was this survey carried out? Were the kids just allowed to answer whatever they liked without any sort of particular prompting? We wanted the children to be anonymous. We wanted to make sure that they were able to share their honest opinion with us. Because for the last four or five years, we have been at various levels uh, teaching students about climate change, having discussions with students. So now we wanted to study the impact that this has had on them. So we chose an anonymous survey and all 44 of our GEM schools were involved, 42 in UAE and two in Qatar. So the students aged between 10 and 18 responded to this survey and I presume there has been no prompting on this. Can you give me a little bit more about the results of this survey? You know, I gave the two sort of top lines there, but what else did you discover about how children were feeling about the future when it came to climate change? Largely, they were optimistic, they were hopeful, but there were some students who were a little concerned and worried. And I think as educators, we need to balance teaching of climate change along with the well-being and support. I think people are fearful only of things that they don't understand. So it is essential that our teachers equip them with the knowledge and understanding they need to combat the circumstances they find themselves in. 
do you know it's really interesting there that that you say that they need to know the facts and and you know if, if children don't know the facts then they might be scared but but this isn't one of those cases is it if you actually know the facts in in some ways it it's even more frightening you know if you actually confront the realities of global warming if you confront the realities of climate change and the increase that we're seeing in uh, fires and flooding for example in some ways it gets a, a little bit more frightening and in that situation how do we engage the children when they maybe have this sort of loss of hope and i give the example of the pandemic i think nothing is insurmountable and we can use that example because when that happened the world came together as one through education to make sure that each of us was equipped with behavioral changes and what we needed to do in order to overcome the pandemic the planet has been through a lot and we are a resilient people and i think if education is provided like we do at gems education we've had more than 5000 of our teachers certified as uncc climate change teachers equipped with the right kind of knowledge to enable our students to have a clear understanding not garnered from social media and unreliable sources So once we equip our teachers and upskill them I think they would be able to have these conversations and help students understand what they need to do to overcome these challenges Did your pupils tell you what they wanted the adults to do was that part of the survey Yes we gave them one open ended question to answer what did they want our leaders what did they want people to do and concisely put they said do better do better and i think that's a great message for our leaders as we come together at cop but i also want to tell all people out there instead of just looking to leaders i think all of us should do better it is our a collective problems and it should be addressed at every level Asha Alexander uh, inspiring words there thank you so much for joining us on the agenda this morning uh, Asha is executive leader for climate change at Gems Education she's also the principal of Gems Legacy School interesting words Hello there, welcome back to the program. Georgia here keeping you company all the way through until 1 p.m. And today, for 2 days only. I was going to say for 1 day only, but it's actually 2. We are coming to you live from Abu Dhabi Finance Week. We're here in the nation's capital. But actually, verbally, mentally, we're going to turn ourselves back towards Dubai because uh, after discussing it for months, even years, the week of COP28 is finally upon us. Now, the proceedings officially open on Thursday. Dignitaries from around the world are set to arrive in town probably from around about now for the first stages of those critical climate talks. And while you might not be sitting down with maybe President Joe Biden at the Expo City site or His Majesty King Charles, the event is actually very much open to the public and to find out how we can all get involved i'm joined now on the line by hent almaheri she is director of special products uh, special projects i should say at expo city technology hent we really appreciate you joining us on the line today because i know you must be incredibly busy first up can you tell me just a little bit more about the public offering the public program of events what is actually going on down there at expo city Thank you for having uh thank you for having me Georgia. So um first of all just start by saying that COP28 will begin on Thursday, November 30, which is the first um uh, uh, day of of the event, but the first uh, three days of the summit 
open only to delegates. So this will include a major leaders summit on December 1st and 2nd, and then uh, that will set the tone for the uh, upcoming days uh, to come. And now a, vi- a wide uh, variety of events and workshops will be free to the public and open to the public in the Green Zone from the 3rd of December to the 12th of December. And it will feature interactive exhibits, art installations, film screenings, and more than 300 talks and discussions about climate change and sustainability. Um, for that, the visitors, of course, will require a pass, a day pass, which provides a one-time access on a given day from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And bookings for the free Green Zone Day Pass uh, are already uh, live and available on the COP28 website, which also has a detailed map of uh, of the, the site and the different activations, like the different Green Zone hubs that are located in uh, the Green Zone open to public. Can I play devil's advocate for a moment? Um, what is the the point of inviting the public to the site? You know, what are you hoping that visitors will get out from from this experience? Because obviously you've got the talks going on in the blue zone, you know, with all the official delegates and the world leaders. What actually goes on in the green zone? So the, the green zone, the, the whole idea behind this is that the future of the planet will be like the top of the agenda when the when the crucial uh, um, COP28 uh, event uh, begins. Of course, we cannot talk about um, uh, climate change and we cannot talk about the future of the planet without engaging with everybody um, on all uh, on all uh, guest groups. So it is very crucial that we have uh, a platform for the general public and civil society to actually engage in such uh, conversations that uh, um, are eye-opening to, to many of us and to ensure that our future generation from school university, from uh, school kids and university students are also engaging and are actively per, um, 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 uh, getting involved in those conversations about climate change. And hence why all the activations in the green zone are aimed to include, uh, to ensure that there is uh, public engagement with the climate uh, change debate um, as the key talks uh, take place in the blue zone. Yeah, we have seen in the past, of course, in these green zone areas, in because this is the same at every at every COP, isn't it? You have a green zone and a blue zone, and of course, we have in the past seen in green zones quite you know vociferous, angry climate activists, you know, getting involved, really complaining um, to the world leaders that they're not doing enough, for example. Um, I think it's fair to say that we probably won't see a great deal of that in the UAE. But nevertheless, you are seeking to really engage UAE residents, but also visitors, I suppose. People may indeed be flying in in order to, to, uh, not protest, but maybe, but, you know, to have their say in scenarios. Yeah, and, and, and for that, during uh, COP28, actually, we have uh, the Voice for Action um, hub for such uh, activities to, um, uh, to to ensure that the different opinions are actually heard. Uh, but also within the uh, the Green Zone, we're also looking at the different uh, discussions and um, um, activations and workshops and conversations that are being encouraged as well on all uh, uh, levels to ensure that um, all the different opinions are being heard and um, all the different guest groups are actually actively um, uh, participating and engaging and have I a platform to be uh, to be heard. That is good news. I mean, I do remember uh, chatting to some of the the organisers at Expo City and and I remember one person saying to me, don't expect, you know, fairground rides and dodgems, but 
Do you nevertheless think it is somewhere that it would be worth bringing children to? Do you think it's worth bringing, um, for example, mine are nine and ten? Do you think I should bring them down this weekend, for example? Of course, because there's like um, amazing uh, shows that we that we will be hosting as well. So there is a rehearsal of um, um, uh, Alia and Taralan that I've seen, and it's it's a beautiful musical on climate change that will be open to all the visitors of uh, COP28 in the Green Zone. Um, we have a lot of uh, interesting performances for the ch- for the children. The aim uh, is to ensure that all age groups are actually. Um, engage in in this conversation in a way or another, are aware of uh, climate change and the role that uh, they will have to play as as the current generation, but also for the future uh, generation. So, for example, we will include uh, the likes of, um, we will have the likes of Aleph, uh, the Mobility Pavilion, the Vision uh, Pavilion, Women's Pavilion, Serene Water Feature, Al Fursan Park. It's a very family-friendly space um, that is um, uh, mainly focused on, on on climate change and the idea of transforming the discussions and the conversations of climate change for beyond just you know conferences and 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 uh, informal discussions and out for the different guest groups like uh, school children and uh, university students and, and and fun and engaging ways. Fantastic, Hent. Uh, really wonderful to speak to you, and thank you so much for joining me on the line and and answering all those questions. Uh, really, really interesting stuff about how you are uh, dividing the two zones from blue zone and green zone. And I'm sure lots of people will be indeed going onto the website now to book their tickets. That was Hent Almaheri, director of special projects at Expo City, joining us there on the line. Thank you very much indeed. From Almaria Island, this is the agenda on Dubai Eye. 103.8. Live at Abu Dhabi Finance Week, the largest financial and investment event in the region, and a remarkable gathering that is reshaping the future of finance. Welcome back to the agenda. Yep, we are out and about on the road again, coming to you live from Abu Dhabi Finance Week here in the nation's capital. We're actually just outside the main forum, uh, but I can see that indoors it has started. Uh, several of the keynote speakers have arrived and are starting uh, to make their first speeches at this event, of course, uh, opening in the last hour or so. And we will be having full coverage of Abu Dhabi Finance Week for uh, the whole of these seven, uh, the whole of these five days. Uh, because the business breakfast will be here all the way through until Friday. We are here till Tuesday, uh, so we've got two days in all to get into the nitty-gritty of exactly how the nation's financial leaders or the world's financial leaders are going to handle some of the major issues, including, of course, sustainable finance. Now, we're going to turn our attention to a big international news story uh, for the time being, because uh, for the first time in years, pirate activity has been flagged off the coast of Somalia. Um, What happened is an Iranian-flagged fishing vessel was hijacked by an armed Somali militia. They're now demanding $400,000 in ransom. And if the the payment isn't made, they're suggesting that they might use that ship to engage in further piracy. So are we seeing a return of the bad old days when commercial ships were advised to remain outside the country's territorial waters? Such was the threat from piracy. Well, joining me now is an expert on the matter, Roger Middleton. He's founder and managing director of Sabi Insight Limited. Roger, thank you so much for joining me on the line. Tell me, do you think this is going to be an isolated incident? I mean, it's obviously hard to tell, but I would say we have not seen any significant pirate activity uh, since a, a small period in 2017 
when there were a number of attacks uh, going on. But before that, there'd been a sort of five-year hiatus, really, of any significant activity. So I think what the most likely scenario is, is that what we're seeing is an opportunistic attack here uh, that is likely to be a one-off. Um, now, of course, the context of what's happened is really important, and we don't know all the details but it does seem possible that the vessel that's been uh, taken was engaged in fishing within uh, Somalia's territorial waters, uh, which is clearly a point of great contention for many coastal communities in Somalia. Um, and it's, you know, counter to a number of uh, government regulations and laws that have been put in place recently as well. So I think we have to see a little bit what's happened here. But at the moment, uh, I think uh, it's unlikely we'll see a major uptick in attacks and now, that's for a number of reasons. Of course, you know, on land, Somalia and the, the regional governments, Puntland uh, in this case, have become really quite effective at managing uh, the sort of on land element of anti-piracy operations. And then we've seen a number of international maritime efforts by the EU, the United States, even China and other countries getting involved in that over time in the oceans. And then third and perhaps most important element is the way that shipping companies have adjusted their approach to uh, transiting Somali waters, whether that's for some to take on guards and, you know, really quite um, heavy uh, anti, you know, protective measures and for others just to really stay away from Somali territorial uh, waters. Um, so I think, as I say, I think it's likely to be a, a one off uh, situation. So just about 30 seconds left with you. What is it that, I mean, why is it that piracy it was and, and can be such a problem specifically off the coast of Somalia? Because, you know, it's not like people don't find boats everywhere. You know, why, why Somalia? Why have they gone out and, try and, man- and, and successfully actually managed to um, hijack so many ships over the last couple of decades? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a number of things. So obviously, first, you need a, a busy shipping lane near you. And we see that in Somalia. We also see it in West Africa, in the Gulf of Guinea, um, and in parts of Southeast Asia, uh, where piracy has been prevalent in the past as well. So you need a good location. Obviously, the Horn of Africa there uh, through the Babel Mendeb is a really busy shipping lane. And then you need an on-land uh, environment that allows that kind of criminal activity to take place. Uh, and Somalia's got... Uh, It's not a place of no governance, but it's got a place where government is very stretched. uh, And that leaves a lot of space for, you know, operations like pirates or or criminal gangs to operate. It It gives them the opportunity there. And then the third element, of course, in Somalia, because of the the long running civil war there, there is a a fairly ready supply of weaponry and a fairly ready supply of of young men who are prepared to take these kind of risks. Uh, Piracy is incredibly dangerous. obviously for those crews who are attacked, uh, but it's also a dangerous uh, kind of uh, profession, so to speak, uh, for the people engaged in that activity. So the confluence of those three things, a good location or a a busy location, a lack of, uh, you know, effective governance, policing on land, and then, you know, the supply of of money, weapons and and people to to engage in the activity. And and that's what has happened in Somalia in the past. Roger, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the agenda this morning. Roger Middleton there is a piracy expert. He's also the founder and managing director of Sabi Insight Limited, uh, reassuring us uh, that this piracy incident is likely to be an isolated one. We will keep our fingers crossed on that because I remember when piracy was a massive topic on the news and it, 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 literally barely a day seemed to go by.
Dubai uh, without somebody's uh, ship being hijacked. Uh, so good news for your, well, as you head into your Monday afternoon here on the agenda. Hey guys, welcome back to the program. We are coming to you live from Abu Dhabi Finance Week. We are here in the nation's capital getting excited about the event you can see oh my goodness actually you can really see a whole bunch of delegates about to arrive i bet you anything that is a royal delegation you know you get the sort of you get the sense of a buzz around a royal delegation i think that is what we are about to receive right here down at Abu Dhabi finance week the critical issue of sustainable finance and emerging trends in fintech just two of the major hot topics of conversation but it is now time for us to catch up on all the latest sports news both on and off the pitch it's been a pretty mega weekend here in Abu Dhabi when it comes to sport i think uh, you have to be hiding under a rock to have missed the f1 but joining me now with all the details is our sports editor Chris McCarty. Well, good morning, Georgia. As you will hear from my huskier than usual tones, it's been a long weekend. A long weekend spent shouting down at Yasmarina. Let's start with the Formula One, the 2023 season at an end, and it's same old, same old. Max Verstappen, a 19th, yes, 19th victory in 22 races that is record extending no driver in history has won that many races in a season he is the toast of formula one yet again he is now a three-time world champion although in fairness and in truth he was that a number of weeks ago he took the checkered flag to bring the curtain down on the season charles leclerc in the ferrari finishing second and george russell not for the first time this year uh, out finishing his more illustrious contemporary Lewis Hamilton, the 70, uh, seven time, not 17, seven time world champion. He will go off now in the offseason, lick his wounds, and they'll all look to come back and give Red Bull a far better fight than they have this past season. Interestingly enough, though, I saw one pundit uh, say that it's essentially the Mount Everest of sport in usurping Red Bull. Good luck to them in this offseason. As for the other big stories over the weekend, well, in football, I guess the big one on Saturday lunchtime, it was Manchester City against Liverpool and it ended up serving a bit of a damp squib. It would finish Man City 1, Liverpool 1, Trent Alexander-Arnold cancelling out Erling Haaland's opening goal. Uh, in truth though, the, the kind of blood and thunder that we've seen in this fixture in previous encounters just wasn't there perhaps to do something uh, to do with the fact that it was an early kickoff and they were all coming off the international break. In terms of the goal of the weekend, we'll look no further than Alejandro Garnacho's stunning, and I mean stunning, overhead kick in Manchester United's 3-0 win over Everton at Goodison Park last night. Wayne Rooney's overhead kick uh, back in 2011, I think it was, against Manchester City is often talked about as being the Premier League's greatest goal. I think it's now got a contender. Alejandro Garnacho is easily 18 yards at an angle. He hits it first time across from Diego Delo past Jordan Pickford into the top corner a stunning, stunning uh, strike Man United back to winning ways and they are now just six points would you believe off the top of the table that is Arsenal after their 1-0 win over Brentford there was defeat again for Tottenham having gone and beaten their opening 10 matches they've now lost their last three injuries and suspensions 
really playing an issue for Ange Postacoglu's men. That's the football then. We've touched on the F1 and baseball, United Professional Baseball, making its debut the past weekend. I had a couple of friends who went down, said it was great. Uh, the crowds, perhaps not as big as one would have expected. However, the action on the field definitely lived up to its billing. And I think it's the first big building block in baseball, putting some proper roots down here in the Middle East. So that gets you bang up today. It's been a busy weekend, Georgia. I'm still lying down in a dark room. Fingers crossed I find more of a voice come five o'clock. Yeah, Chris McCarty there. Uh, excellent stuff. Sports editor for the ARN Radio Network, but also, importantly, your presenter of Offscript, which is your drive time show on air from five until eight. Hopefully, indeed, he will have recovered by then. The agenda is live Monday to Friday from 10 a.m. till 1 p.m.